So this week, Robert and I have been culling books. We're in that necessary process of clearing shelves and choosing all the books peasant market needs for record-breaking book sales this July. I came upon some notes from seminary, the old kind of notes on index cards, handwritten. For 40 years, I haven't been able to throw away this little clump of index cards held together with a rubber band which has lost its elasticity and popped about every decade. Because they're from a New Testament class I cherished. Christer Stendhal, New Testament scholar, taught a course on Paul in preparation for a book he was writing, Paul Against Jews and Gentiles. And we were the lucky recipients of his work. Thinking about today's gospel reading, I checked to see what Professor Stendhal had said about the conversion of Paul, and here is his statement. Paul's experience on the road to Damascus was a call, not a conversion. He did not change religion. He had been a Jew. He was still a Jew. He was called by the risen Lord to proclaim him as the Christ. Paul's dramatic experience has long been called the conversion of Paul, but I was struck by the parallels Professor Stendhal demonstrated to the calls of the prophets of old, always dramatic, often hard for the person being called to understand that this is God whose voice he's hearing. The call of Samuel, a boy who is serving Eli the priest, he hears God calling him and thinks it's his master, Eli, and goes running to Eli. Here I am, Eli. And three times, Eli sends him back to bed. Then, when he realizes it is God speaking to him, God says, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone that hears it will tingle. The call of Isaiah. God tells Isaiah, you are my servant Israel in whom I will be glorified. Jeremiah's call, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. These calls are part of the colorful and memorable stuff of biblical history. And isn't Paul's even more dramatic? He's knocked to the ground by a great light, and the voice says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he's rendered blind. Paul's restored by God's servant Ananias, a Jewish Christian of Damascus, part of the cult Paul had been calling the way. Paul had been trying to eradicate it. And Ananias is called as well. He hears God, God's voice, go find Saul in that street called Straight, lay hands on him that he may regain his sight. And Ananias recoils, as so many prophets have done when called. Lord, I've heard about this man, how much evil he's already done to your followers in Jerusalem. And as in the case of so many who are called, his attempt to decline doesn't work. God prevails. Go, for I will use this man, Saul, as an instrument to bring my name before Gentiles and kings. So Ananias
Ananias follows his call, he finds Paul, he heals him of his blindness, baptizes him, and Paul begins his earth-shattering mission proclaiming Jesus as Son of God. Does it get any more dramatic than that? And then our gospel, another miracle of fish, a meal by the side of the lake during which Jesus takes bread and gives it to the disciples, takes, blesses, gives, another Eucharist. The breakfast by the sea not only confirms that the risen Lord is the historical Jesus, for he eats bread and fish, but recalls some of the most meaningful moments shared during Jesus' ministry, times at table. Eating together confirmed and encouraged faith for living in the face of immense obstacles. We gain strength from the table Sunday after Sunday. But in the context of this story, Peter is once again his remarkable, impetuous self. He jumps into the water to swim toward Jesus. Why are we less familiar with this particular fishing miracle from John's Gospel? Well, for one thing, we only hear it on Sunday once every three years, the third Sunday of Easter in the year C, today. It's also a reading for the Friday of Easter week, the Friday after Easter, and most of us aren't reading the readings the week after Easter. But part of it, as you can imagine, is used for the feasts of St. Peter and Paul, Peter's reconciliation. A few thoughts about this other fishing miracle story. Chapter 21 of John's Gospel is considered an epilogue, added later perhaps by a disciple of John, the writer of the Gospel. Last week's Gospel reading about doubting Thomas ended with the verses, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That's clearly the end of John's Gospel. So why add this final chapter? Some commentators suggest it was added to rehabilitate Simon Peter, whom we cannot forget has recently denied Jesus three times that night before Jesus was crucified. In this epilogue to John's Gospel, after Jesus has invited the disciples to catch fish, many of them, on the other side of that boat, after they breakfast together on the shore, Jesus pushes Peter three times to state his love for him. And then each time commands Peter to care for Christ's family. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And he warns Peter that he will suffer in so doing. And then he ends this epilogue with the iconic words, follow me. Call and rehabilitation are the themes for today. The calls of Saul, Ananias, and Peter, feed my sheep rehabilitation of the impetuous, so human disciple who, like Paul, would become a major force in the early church. Rehabilitation after the grimmest denial we can think of that three times.
Jesus betrayal. Before the cock crows, Jesus says to Peter, you will deny me three times. So Jesus' three times stated question, Peter, do you love me, is a wholly counterbalance to Peter's triple denial. Three times Peter assures Jesus that he indeed loves him. Three times Jesus calls Peter to follow him. Feed, tend, feed. And again, those final words, follow me. Last week, we talked about the responsibility of serving Christ by recognizing that of Christ in everyone else, each other, someone on a bench on the park, and that is the first part of following. The second is feeding, tending, feeding. When we call ourselves Christians, we're called just like the prophets of old, just like Saul Paul, like Ananias and all the disciples, and Peter. We're called, we're called through our baptismal vow. Every day, the risen Christ commands us to recognize him in others, and more importantly, every day, the risen Christ commands us to feed and tend. Following means working, feeding, teaching others to read, driving strangers to doctor's appointments, cooking food for hungry folks here or up at Charterhouse, giving ourselves away, feeding, tending, feeding. There are a million ways to do it. Like farmers who feed and tend and feed and must never take a day off from their sheep or their cattle, we are to feed and tend every day. That's our 